are listening to Gizmonic Institute's radio. In the not too distant future, on no specific date, there were two guys with a mutual love of MSD3K. They were on their way to watch a favorite show, but then things went bad as they tend to go. When they woke up, they were surprised to find they had been kidnapped by a scientist and launched into the sky. Now they're stuck in space until they've watched every episode of the show. That's the only way that Dr. Odd says he'll ever let them go. Now we invite you to join our heroes as they travel both near and far. Podcasting their grand adventures while hurtling through the stars. It's time for Gizmonic Institute's Radio! Well, here we are. Yep. It's kind of awkward, yeah? Yeah, it is. I'm not really sure what we're supposed to be doing. Well... Dr. Odd said that we are supposed to keep an audio log of each of the movies we watch. We just watched movies, so I guess this is the audio log part? Sure. So, we just talk about the movie, then. We could do that, or... Or what? Well, look at it this way. That weirdo Dr. Odd is not only trying to drive us crazy by making us watch episodes of our favorite TV show, but he's also trying to get famous by putting these audio logs out on the internet, right? Yeah, so? Well, why does he get to be the one who gets famous out of all of this? We're the ones doing all the work, not him. Yeah, we're the talent. Exactly. So, if we really want to get famous, we need to spice up these audio logs a bit. You know, add some pizzazz. I'm okay with that, as long as we think of a different word to describe what we're doing other than adding some pizzazz. Like what? I don't know, giving it some chutzpah? Providing some extra oomph? Giving it a sparkle injection? You know what? As a side note, I think we've made our first important scientific discovery up here on our satellite. Yeah? Yep. The phrase, adding some pizzazz, and all of its derivatives are terrible, terrible things to use to describe anything. I can agree with that statement. Yep. So that's something. It still doesn't really solve the problem of what we want to do to make this thing more interesting. Well, I did some radio in college. Okay. Yeah. I had a drive-time morning show called Tequila John and the Chicken Man. I figure we can use some of the bits from that to kick things up a notch here and make these audio logs a bit more interesting. Sure. That sounds like it could work. Okay. You make some toilet sounds into the microphone. I'm going to go try to find a gigantic chicken suit. I'll be right back. Hold on. Oh, boy. Looks like we have our third DJ for the show. Yeah. Dr. Buzzkill. Oh, man. If I had my soundboard set up, I would have had such a great sound effect to throw in right now. Enough. I can't be here to babysit you every week. This is a scientific experiment, not some drunken frat boy college radio garbage. Hey, now. This is science. Toilet jokes and chicken suits have no place in science. Debatable. In order to keep you focused and on track... I've prepared a set of strict guidelines to follow when you're delivering your weekly audio report. Check the screen to your right. You should see them displayed there. Oh, wow. This is... incredibly boring. Yeah, a real snooze fest. It's science! Science isn't supposed to be interesting or full of pizzazz. There's that word again. It's supposed to be factual. You were wanting to get internet famous with this, weren't you? Of course! Who on the internet doesn't love raw scientific data being read to them by captives aboard a satellite? 
I think the entire internet would absolutely hate that. Oh, since you're apparently experts of the internet, what do you suggest? First of all, I love the title expert of the internet. Second, how about a compromise? We don't give you a full morning zoo style experience and you don't force us to read scientific data results. Instead, we just act the part of charming, entertaining hosts while still making sure to talk about the movies you make us watch. Well, I didn't pick you as subjects of my experiment because you were charming and entertaining. Is that something you're capable of doing? Absolutely. I will do my best to work on it. Well, I suppose that sounds agreeable. But just carry on, but I'll be listening. And if I don't like what I hear, there will be consequences to pay. What consequences? I'll remotely reprogram the food bot to prepare meals where the only ingredient consists of the crackers that come with Lunchables. Whoa, that's rough. Wait! Will they come pre-moistened with meat water from the processed turkey slices? Mm, no. But that's the best part! Meat water? You're disgusting. Hey, now! I likes what I likes. Well, I do think I have a few jars of meat water laying around somewhere. What is wrong with you people? Meat water? I can barely say the phrase without gagging. Well, personally, I think it's delicious. You know what it needs? To be forgotten about and never revisited ever again? No. We need to rebrand it. And I think I have just the brand. I think I'm going to regret asking, but what's your idea? Okay. Let me set the scene. A park. Midday. Children are running around laughing and... Doctor, uh, do we really have time for this thing that's happening right now? I don't see why not. Now be quiet. I want to see where he's going with this. So, we focus on two sad, thirsty-looking kids. How can you tell they're thirsty? I don't know, a camera trick or something? Anyway, all of a sudden a genie shows up and gives them drink pouches full of, wait for it, pizzazz! The drink from meat that tastes so sweet! Meat water from a genie in pouches and it's sweet? I, ugh, I'm at a loss for words. Well, I love it. Children all over the world will constantly be getting disappointed by pizzazz. Young Sally will dread opening a lunchbox to find a cheaply packaged packet of pizzazz has spilled open and soaked their entire lunch in the pungent and salty brine that comes packaged with only the most degrade of meats. Little Jimmy will be humiliated after spilling some pizzazz on himself at recess and having to go the rest of the day smelling like Grandpa's leather jacket. It's devilishly diabolical. Hey now, pizzazz is supposed to be fun. Why do you have to make everything evil? To be fair, you just pitched a mad scientist child-sized pouches of meat-flavored water delivered to them by a genie. That's probably in the top five worst mental images ever. It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to turn evil. Not for an evil genius like me. I need to go speak with some investors. You gentlemen do your job and talk about this week's movie. This could be the biggest thing since Mutt do. Dr. Odd out! Ugh, okay there, Dr. Oddcrest. What? Never mind. Anyway, let's talk about this week's episode. Sounds good to me. This week we watch Mystery Science Theater 3000, Episode 1, The Crawling Eye. Where do you want to start? Well... I think we should start by finding out whatever happened to that guy. 
You know the guy who played Larry, Dr. Forrester's original sidekick? You mean J. Elvis Weinstein? Yeah. Well, I imagine he's off being J. Elvis Weinstein somewhere. That doesn't really help me that much. Hey, Dr. Odd? What? Do we get Wikipedia up here? Well, you'll get Oddopedia. It's, it's like Wikipedia, but at the top of every page, it has a personal appeal from Oddopedia founder, Dr. Odd. Fantastic. So, J. Elvis Weinstein. Just a sec. Um, well, it looks like after MST3K, he went on to be a writer on Freaks and Geeks. Huh. And also on America's Funniest Home Videos. Wait, that show has writers? Yeah, I guess. Uh, but most importantly, in 2007, he and several other MST3K alumni went on to found Cinematic Titanic, which is pretty awesome. Oh, nice. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's just weird. As an MST3K fan, whenever I think of Tom Servo, I definitively think of Kevin Murphy's voice and personality. But after watching The Crawling Eye, I have to admit, J. Elvis Weinstein's Tom Servo may eventually carve out a tiny place in my heart. I can see that. Okay, well, how do you want to do this? Should we talk about the episode first, or the movie covered in the episode? Let's start off by talking about this episode. This is our first real episode, and this is the first episode of MST3K that was ever aired on broadcast TV, so we have something in common with them. Speaking of first, this is the first episode of the show that takes place in Deep 13, rather than Gizmonic Institutes. Yeah, in the opening segment, Joel mentions that it's extremely radioactive, and references a time where he had to go down there to clean up a flubber spill. Oh, like in Walt Disney's Son of Flubber? Wait, is that a real thing? Of course, but... Do we really want to explore the possibility of MST3K occurring somewhere within the canon of the Flubber Trilogy? If anything, it would almost absolutely be the other way around. The Flubber Trilogy would be but a small part of the larger MST3K canon. Either way, I think we're missing the most important point. Someone saw the first Flubber movie and then decided to make two more. Fair point. Anyway, let's start out by going through a short recap of this episode's segments, uh, starting with the Invention Exchange. Okay, question. Isn't the Invention Exchange something they started in the KTMA years? You know, pre-broadcast TV? Well, there were some references to scientific inventions and other science stuff, but never an official Invention Exchange. Well, then it looks like we have another first. What was that? What? Okay. Uh, Anyway, this Invention Exchange starts with Joel offering up a bagpipe powered by a leaf blower on which he covers a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin. You know, unless you told me the title of one, I don't think I could sing you a Led Zeppelin song. Are you, are you kidding me? You've never heard a Zeppelin song. I think I probably have. I just can't sing one off the top of my head. Oh, come on. There's a lady who sure all that glitters is gold. Yeah. And there's guys on the boat, and they're wow. the shore. Yeah, no, those no? those are really not the words to that song. Okay, well, let's say I'm about 50% on my Led Zepp, then. Okay. The Mads half of the Invention Exchange is a pineal gland injection to make humans pant like dogs for some reason. Yeah, this is one of the few invention exchanges I remember, where it's hard to say which invention was actually more evil. I'm leaning toward the leaf blower bagpipe, mostly because it's a bagpipe. 
I can go with that. So, after watching the movie for a bit, the boss and Joel take a break to discuss the merits of removing robot heads versus the merits of removing human heads. Apparently, when he created them, Joel did not provide the bots with a knowledge of basic human anatomy. And that's weird, because someday Joel may need those robots to save his life. And apparently, before this conversation, they would have just tried to unscrew his head. That's troubling. Anyway, the second show break finds Gypsy uncoiled and suffering from diode rash, which is apparently a problem robots have. So, are my hands itchy from diode rash? No, your hands are itchy because you insisted on playing with that piece of spare insulation earlier. But it looked so soft and fun. And itchy. Itchy or not, it was still soft and fun. There's also nothing else to do up here in space. Anyway, the third show break had Joel and the bots discussing the horror of Forrest Tucker's acting, as well as ruminating on the horror behind giant sentient body parts attacking us. Right, like when you were little and your hand fell asleep and you hit yourself in the face with it? What? You know, your hand falls asleep so you hit yourself in the face with it? It feels really heavy and weird. I used to do it all the time when I was a kid, that's normal, right? I could consult the Autopedia, but I'm certain there is not a single article on there about anything you just said. That's a matter of opinion! Anyway, this takes us to the final segment. Joel and the bots review the movie and say one good thing and one bad thing about it, and then everyone eats hot ram chips and dip. A robot delicacy. Okay, we've covered the basics of the episode, but before we go any further, do you want to explore the movie on which they riff? Sure. I did a bit of research and found some interesting facts about the movie. First of all, the title, The Crawling Eye, was actually one of many titles assigned to this movie over its existence. Wow, what are the others? The Crawling Eye, The Trollenberg Terror, The Creeping Eye, and Creature from Another World. Not to mention, this film has permeated pop culture more than anyone realizes. Really? Well, aside from being the subject of riffing on this episode of MST3K... The Crawling Eye was also parodied in an episode of the 90s cartoon show Freakazoid. Um, the film was also referenced in Stephen King's It. Even the horror punk band The Misfits wrote a song about it. That's kind of weird. It's strange that such a terrible movie would have such a sizable presence in pop culture. Well, what about modern bad classics like Birdemic, The Room, or the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Those are equally bad, but it could be argued that they're even more popular. Yeah, but in order to enjoy those, you would have to have a healthy sense of irony. Did people in 1958 even know what irony was? Ironically, no. Nice. How about you give us a recap of the plot of this movie? Sure, I guess. Hey, I have an idea. What if, instead of giving us an in-depth, thoughtful review of the movie, you just haphazardly slap together a recap that lasts less than 20 seconds from start to finish? Well, our audience would certainly appreciate that. Brevity is the soul of wit. Is that Shakespeare? Ah, uh, Dean Coots, maybe? Hmm. Anyway, hit me up with your 20-second recap of the movie. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Some hikers fall off a mountain. A girl falls into Forrest Tucker's lap. He revives her with booze. They go on to Trollenberg. She freaks out again. There's a cloud on a mountain. A fat guy climbs it. Scientists are at the top, monitoring the cloud. Everyone in town rides the trolley to the top. A little girl drops her ball. Spooky eyeball muppets try to questionably assault them with tentacles. The Air Force kills them all with fire. Nice. Only 16 seconds. Good work. Hey, I do what I can do. The only confusing part was whether or not the fat guy was climbing the mountain or the cloud on the mountain. To be honest, now that you bring it up, I find I prefer the latter. It's more interesting of a mental image. Okay, well, enough about that dumb movie. Let's talk more about MST3K. Sounds good to me. 
When we were watching this episode, we made a list of our favorite riffs from the movie and then trimmed them down to our top five. I wanted to do the top six riffs, but Mr. Bass 10 over here told me that that was a dumb idea. That doesn't really make sense because five is... Never mind. Seth, give me your fifth favorite riff from the episode. Number five. The crawling eye monster is attacking the mountain hotel and a little girl is looking for her lost ball. The monster's tentacle grabs the girl's ball and Joel... The master of puns responds, he thinks the ball is one of his pupils. <laughs> Very good. Our number four favorite riff from the movie was when the character, being influenced by the crawling eye, is offered a drink, he promptly spills all over. He's then offered a cigarette, at which time Crow chimes in. We saw how good he did with the drink, now let's see how he does with something lit. Nice. Number three. Two hikers, one portly and one slim, are sharing a mountain cabin. The slim one is writing in a diary, and the portly man comments on how he needs to go to sleep. The other man turns back to his diary and crow quips, Dear diary, once again, the fat guy got the bed. Number two. The bartender in the hotel is telling Alan Brooks that, quote, Search parties go out, but don't find anything. Why is that? Then Crow quickly answers, Because they're bad search parties? <laughs> and our number one favorite riff of the movie is... The entire minute-long scene where Anne Pilgrim is giving a psychic demonstration, and the entire time Joel is pretending to be her sister, coughing out a code helping her to be psychic. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was. Well, <laughs> we've pretty much covered everything we needed to this week. Yeah, episode-wise, it was a good one, but The Crawling Eye was sure a stinker of a film. Oh, I can agree with that. Can you imagine that people actually had to go to the theater and watch this thing? And that was the only way they could see it. That was 25 cents you could have spent on a carton of cigarettes. Or a new pair of sock garters. Or schematics to build your own hovercraft in the back of an issue of Boy's Life. Or a Brooklyn Dodgers pennant. Or a malted with your best gal. Man, the 1950s were weird. Yeah. Anyway, judging the quality of yesteryear gives me a good idea. Why don't we rate the quality of this episode? Ah, sounds good to me. What sort of sliding scale do you want to use? Okay, this week let's give the episode a score out of ten crawling eye puppets that are on fire. Uh, sounds good to me. I give this episode seven burning crawling eye puppets out of ten. It's a strong start for their network television debut, but it was fairly light on the riffs. It was a good ep, but not the best one. I agree with you, giving it seven immolated eye puppets out of ten as well. I laughed a lot, but I could tell Joel and the bots are still trying to find the rhythm with some of the jokes. Not a bad episode by any means, though. Well, I think we can wrap this up. Hey, Dr. Odd, are you still there? What? I'm busy contacting investors. This pizzazz thing is going to be huge. Oh, man, I hope not. Quick question. We get your weird autopedia up here. Can we also receive email? Yes. Uh, I've set up a state-of-the-art delivery system for you which uses bleeding-edge technology combined with science to achieve ultimate convenience. Oh, yeah? Yes. First, I receive any letters directed toward the show. I print them out on my state-of-the-art dot matrix printer and then send them via pneumatic tube to my robotic center where a Sonog robot reads the message and then types it into a secure electronic mail program and then transmits it via satellite to you. That sounds... Elaborate and unnecessary. Science is always necessary! Well, how do we check the email? Easy. You just get onto the Otternet and log into your old mail account. Question. The Otternet is just the internet, isn't it? 
You're just taking regular websites and adding your name onto the beginning and hoping we don't notice, aren't you? That isn't important. I told you. I'm very busy. There's lots of things to do here with meat water. So if you don't have any other questions, I need to get back to my work. I think that covers it. Science! Weird. Odd! Whoa, is Pete gone now? I think he's gone now. So, since it turns out that we have internet access up here in space, let me set up an email account for our show. And... There! If you, the listener, have any letters about the show, your life, or, most importantly, Mystery Science Theater 3000, send them to mail at gizmonicinstitutesradio.com. Who knows? We might even read them on the show. Great. Well, I think that just about wraps everything up. Sure does. Next episode, we'll be discussing Mystery Science Theater 3000, Season 1, Episode 2, The Robot vs. the Aztec Mummy. A movie whose title and premise is still to this day unmatched on a scale of pure awesomeness. Until then, thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in next time to Gizmonic Institute's radio. End transmission. Uh.